Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Glenn, welcome back. So happy to see you. (laughs) Thank you, JD. Happy to see you too. Happy belated New Year. Can I still say that? I don't know what the rules are. Are there rules? We haven't really? seen each other for like 18 months and <laughs> we we had a new year re- fairly recently. So I feel right. like I'm still in the clear. That's all good. It's all good to me. I think like once it hits June, you probably can't say it anymore. Right. But up until the first six months, it's 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 fair game. I'm going with that. <laughs> Let's see. So it's been a minute. We have a lot to cover. So I want to get into it. But first, I want to acknowledge Ramadan. And one of the things that I am... I, I catch myself freezing with people because I, I don't know the appropriate way to acknowledge Ramadan. So I wanted to ask. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. We have a greeting, which is Ramadan Mubarak, which mm-hmm. means blessed Ramadan. And then the answer, like if somebody says to you Ramadan Mubarak, you say Ramadan Kareem. And Ramadan Kareem means Kareem is noble. Um, so if you've ever met somebody who's named Kareem, that's actually means noble. And one of the, in in Islam, we believe that God has 99 attributes and one of them is Al-Kareem, which is the noble. So he's like the, believe like God, I would say he, but it's not he as in masculine, Mm -hmm. but that, that God or Allah is like the noble of the noble, right? The highest level of nobility. But Mm -hmm. some, we believe that some of God's attributes we can emulate as humans. So we can be noble, but our noble is not like the Lord of the Worlds noble. That makes sense. But so, yeah, so Ramadan Mubarak, Ramadan Kareem. Ramadan Mubarak, blessed Ramadan, Ramadan Kareem. I mean, you can also say blessed Ramadan. You don't have to say it in Arabic, but okay. yeah, but it's I don't want to do the, yeah. hey, I don't want to do the language injustice, so I'll say blessed Ramadan to you and yours. Yeah, but Ramadan, I mean, Ramadan Mubarak is pretty easy to say. Like yeah, you won't offend anybody. Okay, good. Well, you won't always, offend anybody. That's always I, 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 I will, I will, I will speak for all the bill, multi, several billion Muslims in the world. Say that Glenn, like the heck is Glenn? Glenn said that this would not be offensive. So I'm doing <laughs> right on. I will do that. So, you know, I know Ramadan means so much to so many, and I, I want to yeah. know what it symbolizes for you, and what you'd like to well, share about your experience. Yeah. So I became Muslim when I was 19, and I think we touched on this in the first call. It's also been a big part of my anti-racism journey, like learning about Malcolm X, learning about, you know, that that really was the first time in, in learning about Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad. I'm just also learning about just how deep the inequities go in this country historically and made me more curious to learn more about enslavement of black people in this country and uh, lots of things, right? But Ramadan has special significance, one, for Muslims, because this is when we believe the Quran is a book that was revealed from God. Like it, you know, the Bible, it's, it was written by 
different writers, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. And in Christianity, they'll say that they were like, they were inspired. But in Islam, the concept of the Quran is like, it is actually God's words, not somebody who heard some, like it was, we believe that the angel Gabriel, and I know I'm not trying to preach, I'm just educating. No, we I, believe I'm that the angel Gabriel, which is Jabril in Arabic, actually spoke to Prophet Muhammad and revealed these verses of the Quran to him and that God was addressing humanity, which is, which is beautiful. And we believe that, so the Islamic calendar is a lunar calendar and Ramadan is a month in that lunar calendar. And Ramadan means burning, but Ramadan is when we believe the Quran started to get revealed. And for that reason, one of the biggest significances of Ramadan is we call it, we say it's the month of the Quran. So Muslims around the world are trying to read the entire Quran through that month. The Quran is broken into 30 sections, which are called Jews. And then like a book, it has chapters and those are called surahs. And so we try to read a Jews every day. And some of us do better than that than others. It yeah. takes about 45 minutes. If you read Arabic, it takes about 45 minutes to read one juice. Uh, and it's a time of reflection. Like, why do we read the Quran? It's a time to reflect and reorientate ourselves. Like, who are we and what are we doing? Now, we also, of course, fast. So we don't eat from dawn until sunset. Dawn is not sunrise. Dawn is about an hour and a half before. There's no food. There's no drink. And we do that for 30 days. You can eat as much as you want outside of that. So when sunset hits, party on, right? <laughs> but the idea of it in Islam is that we need food and drink to survive. If we can learn to control our urges for food and drink, we can do anything. We can control any other urge, urge for money, power, whatever, whatever it is, right? We can learn. We can so, it's, so Ramadan is a time of learning and discipline. And you probably haven't heard this before from many people, but that's the, it is a very significant month. A lot of people look at Ramadan, they think it's only about like no food and no drink, but it's way more than that. The food and the drink is just the start of it. It's to get you into a state like me, for example, I'm usually like super energetic. You'll notice probably today, I'm not as energetic as I normally am because I'm fasting. And it causes me to reflect more and it cause, and I just don't have as much energy because I'm just not eating and drinking during the day. So a highly spiritual month, a giving month, community month. We spend a lot of time in the mosque with each other, with the Muslim community, pray together. It's beautiful. And this is my 32nd. So I've been doing it a while. And, you know, some people is like, oh, wow, you're not eating and drink. That sounds like awful, but it's a huge package and there's so much that comes with it and you see the benefit aside from the benefit of you do lose weight right a lot of people <laughs> want to lose weight like ramadan is you're going to lose some weight but it's also purifying your body like scientists have literally done studies and like the periodic fasting because ramadan is periodic fasting you're not fasting for 24 hours you would die if you did that consistently but right. you're fasting for a large portion and it is a purification of your body because you're just putting less into it. So yeah, it, it has so many meetings. I love it. You know, I love to eat too. And I get this trepidation, even though it's my 32nd Ramadan, like the night before Ramadan, I was nervous. Like, am I ready? Am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to break it? And then, 
you know, the, and then it just came and started and I just made my intention. And it, it also Ramadan, a big part of his intention, like you wake up in the morning and you do the right thing. You go to bed early so that you can get up early. Cause like getting up here now in San Francisco, getting up at like five o'clock, I was just in Seattle getting up at four fifteen. you know, the days are shorter. It's beautiful. Well, I just thank you so much. It's, you know, I find that, you know, I, I read and I, I understand as much as I can, but it, it's totally different when you hear it come from someone's personal experience. So thank you for sharing that. That really means a lot to me. Um, 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 thank you for asking. I, oh. I did not come on and ending talk about it, but I appreciate you asking. Well, absolutely. I'm always interested in different cultures and, and why and how they do what they do. So most definitely. Now I want to I want to talk about the big move. I mean, what a what a big year for you. Let's get into that a little bit. But before we get into the specifics of your new company, which I'm super excited to hear about, I want to know what was the catalyst? What did the process look like in deciding to leave corporate America? That's a great question. Well, one, I think I came to this realization that there were things I thought I was looking for that I was going to find there that I wasn't going to find. We evolve as humans too right? Like the things I w wanted five years ago are not the same things I want now. And it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's just how we are, right? You can literally, I'm sure you found this, JD, saying things that you liked five years ago. I would never say that. <laughs> Completely. Um, our experiences change us and everything. And so I was on this path of going towards being like a leadership executive in tech. And I went back to school and I think, you know, like when we had talked, like I, I went and got my executive MBA and then when that finished, that was a turning point where I was like, hmm, like now I have this thing. What do I want to do? Do I want to like stay at Microsoft and try to ride the path of like becoming executive? And I, or do I want to like do something else? And I thought about it. I was like, no, I want to do something else. Uh, I was, I, I want to be in like a company, a smaller company where I can really have impact and I don't want to be in a big company anymore. So that was the first step. So I went and joined a startup. I was there for eight months. I was the VP of product. It didn't work out. It wasn't the best opportunity for me. And so initially when I left, I was going to just go like I left after eight months and I was going to just go to another startup and maybe find one that was a little better tuned to who I am. But I have a friend who she's an executive coach. She worked at Microsoft for like 20 years and she has been on her own journey of like transitioning from corp life to do something else. And it started with a whole bunch of discovery that she did. She actually took a course from this company, Hudson, who, you know, they're, they're pretty well known and they, and they have like a life coach, life transitioning type of course. And she did that course. And then when she did it, she realized there were some things missing that she wished were there. And she basically evolved what they had and created her own brand of helping executives to transition. And so when she spoke to me and I was telling her about how, like, I was kind of on a rebound, I was like, oh, like, I'm not happy with the way it went, but I'll go find something else. Mm -hmm. And then she was, she put a seed. A lot of times all we need is people to plant a seed in our minds. And she planted a seed of like, well, what if you didn't do that? Like, what if you actually took some time and you, you're at a place where you're financially secure enough to take a break and just be intentional and really think about what you want because, you know, like you're marketable, you, you've got a lot of experience and you just got your executive. People are going to hire you. Like 
So if you go out now and try to look, yeah, you'll find something, but is it the right thing? And I ended up going on a journey with her. Like I ended up hiring her and went on this six-week program, which she calls Life Path. Her name is Agnieszka Gerling, for anybody who's interested. I came out the other end shocked. Like we did all this discovery. And when it came out the end, it was like, I don't want to be in corporate Wow. <laughs> which was also tough for my wife because she <laughs> didn't anticipate that one. And I came out and some of it was, and I, I think by when we had the call, I was diagnosed with ADHD two years ago. And as I've learned more about ADHD, I've learned about the challenges that people who have ADHD have within corporate America, because I, I will say that it's just not built for people like us because our brains operate differently. I have been able to survive despite that, but at a cost. And one of the reasons I realized I wanted out of corporate America is because the tax of, you know, like mindfulness is a good thing. But when you have ADHD, in order to show up the way you're expected to, especially as you move into executive circles, it is hugely taxing. And I just realized I don't want that tax. Like I, I, it's not worth it to me. So the combination of that, and then as I learned more about myself and learned more going through this process about what makes me tick, what are the things I'm really good at, where are the places that I struggle? And another thing that I had never looked at, and I actually think I need to thank black women for this because, you know, in the last couple of years, I've heard a lot of black women talk about their non-negotiables. That is non-negotiable. <laughs> and it's not something I ever really thought about. Like I would always think about like, does it have certain things I want? But what I started to think about is what are the things that are taxing that drain me? And so I came up with this whole model and started to dream of like, and I know this is even privileged to say it, though I've been living it now. Like, what if I could structure my life in a way that it didn't have the things that were really draining, that, you know, really focused on the things that I'm good at, that accommodated the challenges I have with ADHD and like built was built in a way that one, you have superpowers too when you have ADHD. So it was best built for me to leverage my superpowers. And I'll give you an example of one of the things that is one of my superpowers. I just like to work on a variety of things. I'm not happy doing one thing. So my new life is structured around a lot of variety. And the other thing I realized, and often people with ADHD get bored easily. So my new life that has a whole bunch of variety also has dials that I can turn up and turn down. And I've never had that before in life, honestly. Like, well, I had it in the sense that I did a lot of outside of work things, right? which caused me to just be doing stuff all the time. But it was like, what if I didn't have to do that? Because doing that also then took away from my family and my presence and all this other stuff. So and, and that was another thing that was a realization as I went through this program of like, I need to put more time in with my family. My family is, has sacrificed. And so what can I do to, you know, basically I'm trying to have cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um, and learning as I go. You know, first of all, the ADHD, 
I know exactly what you're talking about. It's why, it's why I have, somebody told me I had 30 jobs the other day. I said, no, actually, I don't have 30. It just seems like it because of how I move through the world. So I relate to that completely. And, you know, easy to boredom and wanting to do several things at once all makes sense to me. And I, I you know, it's funny you said <laughs> your wife, you know, you, you said something about your wife wasn't too happy. How is she dealing with it now and where you are? So part of the reason she wasn't happy, I was not being a good communicator. Oh, okay. Thank you. For I needed to that. bring her along. I needed to let her know, like what, whatever my plan was. Even if my plan was to find a plan, then be communicative about it. And because you know, I think you, we go on these journeys, but if we have a life partner, they're looking from the outside, and they only know what we tell them. And when that life journey could have a direct impact on our entire life you know, and on her and on my daughter. So that was a thing. So it's going much better now. One, because actually I needed time to figure things out. But once I did, I started to put them into action and they're now coming to fruition. Like, I'm, yeah. and that's part of what this new business is about. So like she can see that I'm not just wandering around aimlessly, but for a while I was, and I actually think that was okay because it gave me a chance to heal it gave me a chance to think and reflect on what I wanted. So I think in retrospect and the advice for anybody else who finds themselves in this like reinventing themselves journey, and if you have a life partner is just be, you know, include them, let them know yeah. what you're thinking, let them know and, and let them feel part of the decision. That was another thing I think that really frustrated. Are you like, I went through this training and then I just came out of it like, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Well, I'm not going back to do that and I will figure out the other thing. But I didn't really involve her as in how do you really, f like I kind of like, okay, like I told her this and did she leave me? No, I'm good. <laughs> I didn't really have the curiosity and, and bring her in. So that was a big learning. Yeah, look, that is a big, big deal. That's what I, I do a lot of work with uh, couples around that. It's like you're thinking something and you're in yourself, but you're not including your partner in the process. It's all about inclusion. So that's that's awesome. Tell us about the yeah, company. A therapist probably would have helped us. Oh, yeah. Tell us about the company, ProdSense. So the new company that I formed, it is a fractional chief product officer company. So what that means is I'm working with early stage companies or small companies, they're at the point where they might have like a, their, their product companies. So I'm focusing on product companies or companies that want to be product companies. And they probably have a product person, but they need somebody with a lot more experience. Like, especially if they're a small company that you often start with like a junior person. And they're at that stage where they're like, hey, we need some more guidance. We need somebody with more experience to come in. But they may not be at the stage where they can afford to hire a full-time chief product officer because, you know, especially if they're like a startup with funding that involves the board, that involves, you know, big equity commitments, a whole bunch of stuff. Whereas me, I just work a certain number of hours, generally 20 hours a month. And we talk about how that time's going to get used. But basically, I'm there to help with the strategy, help them take their product forward. And initially, I thought it was going to just be me, 
But recently that's been changing. I, I hired my first contractor, subcontractor who is working with me now on my client. Yeah, so it's been a journey. But one of the things that I'm also trying to differentiate on is the equity angle. And so I think I mentioned on the last call, Denise Branch, who's my anti-racism coach, her and I are collaborating so that I can, products can be built in an inequitable way. We know that. And so what can we do to, you know, there are things we can do and a lot of it starts with intention, but knowing what questions to ask and what things to think about and what data are we gathering and who are we gathering it from? And all of that. And these are, this is another part of what I'm bringing. So not just like you want to build a product and I have product experience, deep product experience, working in big companies like Microsoft, Splunk, whatever. And I've worked in startups. I can help bring that, but also help bring it with an equitable lens, both in the perspective of like, are we building our teams in an inclusive way? Like are, are, is everybody's voice heard? You know, who's actually building the product? And then like, what kind of product are we building? What kind of data are we gathering to make sure we're building a product that is inclusive, that is not, you know, a, a real simple example. Have you used Slack? Yes. Right? So yeah. Slack has tone emojis. Yes. That's a little thing. But what I notice is people of color use those heavily. Exactly. That means there is value there. And I mean, people are choosing to use it they don't have to use it right so like that's just a simple example of where a product made an intentional decision to try to make the product more inclusive but you know what glenn it, you know i have to challenge the little thing it's not a little thing it's a huge thing for those you're of right. us who are marginalized uh you're right interesting to use it's easy for me to say as a white guy that it's a little thing it's you know <laughs> but but we we I actually slack. It's interesting you said that because I I'd, I'd said to someone, you know, it's frustrating. They don't have tone emojis. And then she called slack and found that they did and how I could access it. And it's such a thing. It's a very big thing. Well, I'm curious if you'd be willing to share what that does mean for you. Like I only, you know, I see that people use it, but I'm curious, like yeah. for you, you know, as a black woman, like does that, you know, what kind of difference that makes? It's a great question. I very much feel a moment of being seen in a world of not being seen. And that's awesome. Just to be able to represent a part of my culture, who I am, what I'm judged by daily in a way that I'm choosing to, it makes all the difference in the world. And it, it, it does make a product more viable. Like I'm interested in it. Because I feel represented in whatever capacity you decided to do, like you said, with intention. I love that. So that is just one example. And there's lots of others out there. Lots. You know, I yeah. think there's a lot of racist, misogynistic terminology even. Just take like labels of products and the concepts they use. I mean, it's, it's so prevalent. And it's easy to say like, because it's so prevalent, just like white supremacy, that means we can't do anything about it. But that's, you know, that's what like white supremacy wants you to think. Don't even try, just accept it as is, right? So yeah, this is my way. I'm, I'm, I'm small. And the other thing I'm trying to do, and this is why I'm bringing Denise in, is look, like I do have things I've seen in terms of building products. And, and we just talked about the features of a product, but there's also the like how you run the teams. And I've observed things, you know, like I'll give a very simple one is I've been on teams where 
the developers that are building the code, when it comes to code reviews, people of color, especially black people, especially black women are getting, you know, an unequal, an un- inequitable amount of critique about their code as opposed to their non-global majority. By the way, that's the new word I'm using. Good word. <laughs> Love that term. <laughs> non-global majority peers. And, you know, it's like, and this is the kind of thing that often is completely invisible to leaders. They're not is it thinking though, about is, it. Is, is it though? I want to challenge that. Is it invis- invisible? Well, I, it's ignored. It's ignored. Let's put it that way. I think, I think it's more... I think it's more of a choice than... I, mean, I think it's mo- a combination because sometimes there are things that if you're not curious and seeking out the data, like as a leader of a team, you might just be like, I don't look at every pull request. I don't look at the... Like often the leader is not in the code reviews, mm-hmm. right? So they, it, it's possible they know. They mean, I think it's very possible they might not know, mm-hmm. but that's no excuse. It's your team. Yeah. You have to have that curiosity. And so I think one place I can do is ask the question, are you checking, right? Like, are you looking at this? And by, by hiring you, you know, they are, they are wanting to know. And so that's, I see that as a And way I'm of- trying to be deliberate about it. That's why I'm putting the messaging out. It's like, if somebody looks at my website and they're like, oh, I don't care about this equity stuff. Fine. Like, we yeah. won't work together. It like, yeah, they're doing me a favor. Yeah, doing you and me a favor because if you hire me, I'm going to make you very unhappy because I'm going to keep pushing on this stuff. Yeah, Um, and then also you know bringing in Denise because she has lived experience. She's a black woman who has lived through a lot and lived through corporate America, and I don't pretend to have those experiences. I continue to learn about them so I can amplify others and so I can be aware through kindness of others and sharing their experiences, but. You know, that's only going to go so far. So, you know, yeah. I want to ask you about the tech world. We started talking about that before we, we got on air. You know, the layoffs, the yeah. DEIJ is getting old in terms of corporate America. Yeah, that's past. We did that. Yeah. We're done. Done. Check it off, right? So, George Floyd, uh, horribly, you know, George Floyd was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Let's, we, uh, and now we've got other problems we've got to solve. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, laying off people is always solvable. So what do you say about that? What do you say about progress made or not made and how disturbing it is? Because you verbalized it to me, so I'd like you to share it. I do. I mean, I do think there has been some progress, but I think there's been a lot of backsliding that's happening now. And even in the places where there's been progress, there's backsliding. I think it's like, in a lot of ways, I think that equity is, I think when and as human beings, we're so, e- you know, it's so easy to forget and be like, oh, that was before. This is not now. You know, like I think when when George Floyd happened and when people were protesting in the streets and everything, it was critical, right? It was non-optional. It wasn't considered a value add. It was like, if we don't do something, you know, we're not going to be here. And then I think there were also some opportunists of like, we're going to rise to the occasion. It's going to help Absolutely. our business, blah, 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 blah. But I think now what we're seeing is that for a lot of companies, it is just kind of like a nice to have, right? Mm-hmm. When budgets get cut, it's one of the first thing that goes. And, and I think, honestly, I blame white supremacy for that. And I know there's a lot of white people, they just don't like to hear that. Well, they don't like to hear the word white. Well, I shouldn't say they, I'll say we, because I'm included in that. And definitely we don't like to hear the word white supremacy. But I think what is, 
white supremacy has taught us a lot of things, right? It's taught us about focusing on the bottom line. It's taught us that equity is not something that matters to the bottom line. What matters is like, get your customers, get the business. And, and you could argue that, you know, hey, if you're inequitable, you're not going to get the market that you could get. But people are short-sighted and don't see that. They see the dollars and they see the this and they're like, hey, we need to cut things. What are we going to cut? Well, do we cut these features of the product or do we cut our ERG funding and our DEI efforts? I mean, you know, if we cut the product, where are we going to be? Like, we're not going to have anything in the market. So, okay, we'll cut right. that other thing. I'm being a little, but I, I wouldn't say I'm being that facetious because it's sad reality. I think, I think there is a lot of truth to it, but maybe pushing on some things for effect. Well, look, I mean, we already know capitalism and racism are, are you know, deeply enmeshed. And so when you say people don't want to hear about white supremacy, you mean... White people don't want you to call racist. You can talk about a mother. Oh, yeah. Or anti-racist even. (laughs) One of the things I experienced in that role was seeing firsthand as an executive the discomfort both with the word racism and Mm anti-racism. Because if you say anti-racism, it's like, what are you saying? We're racists? Right. Like, yeah. Yes, yes, I am saying that. You're 100% right. Yeah, that word racism is is right up there. Don't use the word white. Don't use the word racism. Okay to use the word black as long as you're like talking about those black people. Right. There you go. (laughs) So you've done a lot of mentoring. I mean, the one thing that I've, you know, noticed following you on social media is that you're consistent and I appreciate that, you know, and not appreciate it in a thank you way. I acknowledge it as it is what you should be doing and you do it consistently. And I think that acknowledging it is important so other people know you can thrive, survive, you can make a big business and still lean into that purpose of what equity looks like. And, you know, we know that that silence is violence, and yet it continues, you know, privilege continues to silence itself in far too many ways. How do you stay in it, and how do you advise others to be in it? You talked about how it, how it the big picture is that it does make more money, but people are short-sighted. So, how do you stay in it? I, I have a hard time with that angle, though. Like, I have a hard time with using that angle because I, like, look at it as, like, what are we supposed to be doing as human beings? And maybe that sounds like an ideal, but I just am not, like, I can't with a straight face go to executive. And by the way, like, this is really just better for the business, right? Meaning don't even care about the equity for the sake of doing the right thing as a human just care about it because it's helping your capitalistic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I go back and forth on that one all the time. Cause I'm like, maybe I just need to get over myself at the end of the day. If it causes the business to go in a direction that is going to achieve the goal, the fact that I have to like placate this leader on a, on a level that is going to get them to move. And that's just a weakness on my part that I need to work on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you need to get over yourself because that is how you get people involved. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, you're right. So thank you for that smack. So, no, I need it. I mean, so for me, I think it's like, I definitely, especially when I screw up, it's easy. Ego's a tough thing and like, oh, give up. Or, or sometimes you just feel like overwhelmed. I mean, as a white person doing this work, not that you should feel bad for me, but it, it can be very lonely, right? Not having 
you know, like you're in a room with a bunch of other people that look like you who just are like, you're like an alien to them. Like, like, what are you saying? Like, you know, like, and that can be tough. But what keeps me going is one, you know, recognizing the injustices that are happening and that, you know, because I know that I really am part of it, it's like, if I give up, then I'm just part of the system. Like I'm not, I have to keep going because otherwise just throwing in the towel and throwing in the towel means I'm part of the problem. The thing that I'm so passionate about changing, I now become, so I like Ibram Kendi's book of, you know, how to be an anti-racist. I love that he said, there is no middle way. You're either a racist or you're an anti-racist, right? If you're, if you're not, if you're saying like, oh, I don't want to deal with that, then you're just propagating and supporting the system, which is what actually white supremacy teaches us that wants us to do. <laughs> so that's one. As far as others, one thing that has changed with me over the last couple of years, I don't spend a lot of time, unless it just you happen to have like touched me on a day when you touched a nerve. I try not to spend my time with those who are at least not curious and want to learn. Because what I've realized is that impact can be so much greater in terms of like a bunch of people that they don't know yet. And not to say that I'm, you know, know everything either, but maybe I'm further along on the journey. And there where I was when I was asking a lot of questions, I'm still asking, but different questions. And it's like, they just, they're ready. They're curious. They're ready. They just need somebody to kind of help nudge them and give them some pointers and, and and in that direction. And that's where I spend a lot of my time. Every once in a while, there'll be somebody who comes and they want to like debate and I'll get in my debate mode. But in general, I found I spend so much time on that. And I found that even if I win, I lose because yeah. they're not going to change. So what did I do? I won an argument, but that same amount of time, I could have helped 10 people who actually were at that point where they're ready and they just need somebody to help show them the way to go. So that's a change for me over the last couple of years. In the beginning, I was all about like, I'll fight with people all day long. <laughs> but at some point I had to sit back first. I'm like, and a lot of what I'm talking about is social media, by the way, was like, is this actually the fight? Like, even if I win, is this real change? And I was like, I no, it's not. And, and then it, even in the case of helping those that are ready, I, you also have to balance between is social media the place where change is happening or is it like working with organizations on the street, working with policymakers, like which one is really going to have the impact? So, yeah. Well, that's tough because I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think they're all going to have an impact and we have to take our time giving a little to this, that, and the other. People are learning a I, lot. I agree with that. Media. But if you're imbalanced, right, like if you're spending all your time and you're saying like the whole fight is on social media. Agreed. I don't, I don't think winning that fight is going to result in dismantling yeah. and changing the world. Basically, if somebody comes at me, a troll comes at me, I put someone I know who's doing the work who's white because I got no time for that. Like, go, That's go awesome. Follow, so there's page. actually, I need to tell you about something then. Great. So a friend of mine, Amber, she created this group on LinkedIn of ally. I, I mean, I have, I, you know, that word, I, I still have some. Yeah, you know, word, that, you know that word. 
but it's a group of essentially what you said. And the idea is like tag them. But I think it's a great idea, regardless of the name, like this idea of like, here's a bunch of people and like one of them can step in and and do what you just said. That has saved me some of my own sanity. It's like, I'm not not doing it. That's awesome. So yeah, so I think for myself, I feel like I definitely get discouraged at other things, but I just always go back to that core essential of, I just have no choice. I'm either going to be part of the solution or part of at least fighting for change. And doing that, I'm going to deal with a lot, including my own screw-ups, right? Like if I screw up and I get hard on myself and like, ah, I'm not doing this anymore, right? I'm doing more harm than good, so I'm going to do nothing. Right. Well, basically, I'm supporting white supremacy. I do that. Exactly. Like sound, sounds good. Yes. So yes. With that mindset has helped me to keep going because well, like, I also, just have no choice. But, but Glenn, the other thing about you is that you do come from a humane place. And so it's not a thought process for you. It's it's truly the core of what you practice and who you are. So that makes it different. You know, most people, I'm sorry to say, they don't come from that humanity. And so it's harder for them to grasp at just I have no choice. It has to be about how it impacts them. And that's well, where I think- and I think I think curiosity and learning helps to foster that, right? I think because yeah. For whatever reason, I got curious and wanted to learn and wanted, even though I'm a talker, as you know, (laughs) wanted to start like listening and hearing and not judging and hearing other people's experiences and what they go through and then reading and educating myself. It changes you, right? Well, it should change you. If it doesn't change you, there's something else going on. Because yeah, I wasn't I, always this way. I mean, I, I think I, I always know. cared about people, but I don't think I was, honestly, I think for, like, I, I think my religion has played in in the sense that yeah, I was gonna say that I met people all over the world as a Muslim, right? Uh, and coming to Islam definitely changed me. So yes. I will say that. Like, if I think I, who I was when I was, like, 17 or 18, because I became Muslim when I was 19, I don't think I had those same cares. I mean, my mom raised me to be a good person, but I think it really was like even coming to Islam and learning about Elijah Muhammad and learning about Malcolm X and learning about the plight of black people in this country, you know, that was a chance to like bring in these other experiences that I hadn't been exposed to and realize that the world wasn't what I thought it was. Yeah. And then you have an option when you hear that. Like, what do you do? Do you like, nah, 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 I'm not hearing you and I'm just go back to doing what I'm doing? Or do you be like, okay, what do I do with this now? Like, I've got, I, I can't, I'm not ignorant. Like, I, I see it. What am I going to do with that? Since That's I was 19, different versions of that have been what I've been on. And then it, it really accelerated, I would say, in the last five to seven years when I started to realize that you know, it's not just about the dealings I have with people. It's the system. The system is the thing that has to go. And you still have to do those other things, but right. the change is not going to happen. You can have these great thoughts of like, oh, we'll just learn to be nice with one another. But there's a system in place that's telling you not to do those things. And as long as that system exists, things are not going to change. Look, you've been on your own journey, and that's what you have described since 19. You've been on your own journey. At the core of that is a human being who cares about others, even in probably in your most selfish t- days of adolescence. Burn. I'm glad to know that. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I if you're not you selfish that. as an adolescent, I, I don't know where you are, where you're living, because that's just, it goes along with the, with the, uh, with the age group. I think what I appreciate most is the journey and how re- insightful and reflective you are and that you're willing to come in this space and share it with me. That means, that means a lot to me and that, you know, this is your second visit and you've been up to so much since you've been back. I want everybody to be able to find you. Please give your social media handles, your podcast name, all the good stuff. Oh yeah, we have a podcast. That's a new thing. Yeah, that's a new thing. We have this new podcast. I I will share all my info. Mm -hmm. And you know, the thing that I think this journey is also changing with me is like in everything that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to bring in the anti-racism angles. Our podcast, it's called Until the Ice Cream Truck. I won't tell you why. There is a story behind it. If you listen to episode one, you'll hear it. But that podcast is about the intersection of product and engineering. But I know there's a lot of inequities in product. So we're trying to broach that, you know, in the holistically, not just like a one-off episode on what's the problems in tech. But the other side is, you know, I brought Jessica Tucker, who is an African-American woman who works in tech. And, you know, we talked a lot about her journey for her journey's sake and her, you know, the great things she's been doing, but we also got to talk about her experiences. And I was really grateful because I was like, I want you to be on the show. I'm not going to pressure you in any way. Like, I don't want you to be like my token guest. And most of the show is actually my partner, Howard and I, who we've known each other. We're very, he's one of my best friends. We've known each other for many years and we've worked together. He's on the engineering side more. I'm more on the product side. Most of the episodes are like this old show car talk. Like we just both talk about topics and share perspective. We're probably not as funny as they are, but (laughs) we're having some guests. And, but for me, I'm always looking like if you listen to the episodes, whenever there's an opportunity to point out inequities or just get people to think, or I'm trying to bring that. And that to me is powerful be able to do that. Wait, Glenn, let me add one thing there that I think is really important. I don't want people to miss. What you're talking about is integration. Yeah. You're, t- you're, not, you're talking about not standing off onto the side. Or intersectionality, yeah. You're talking about bringing it in and integrating yes. it into all that you do, which I just wanted to highlight that to make that clear. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, because I think that's the only way, th- I mean, not I think, that is the only way things are going to change. And it's not, look, White supremacy is not a thing that is just over on the side here and sometimes pops up. It's everywhere. So we need to look at it that way. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Where can everybody find you before we wrap up? Oh, sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Link, and you'll see I'm, I'm pretty vocal there, but linkedin.com slash in slash gblock. And my company name is ProdSense. If if you're looking for, you know, if you're in the product space and and you're you're looking for somebody who has 25 years experience who can help and who also cares about these things, then you can go to ProdSense.net. I'm also on Twitter, but I really don't recommend you follow me, and I don't post that much there. I am starting to do some stuff on TikTok. I've only done one post about an author, a woman who's a friend, Elizabeth Leiba, who wrote this great book. I'm not yelling, and if you're not aware of it, Denise, it's an amazing book that is exploding with interest right now, and it's really about her experiences as a black woman in this country and finding her voice, and it's amazing. But I am on TikTok, and it's Glenn Block Talk, T-O-K. <laughs> That's great. 
and you will see one post that's there right now, but I'm planning to do more. And my hope with that is just to start sharing things really about anti-racism equity is most of what I want to share there. And there's one post there on that. And there's two other posts. One of them is my rabbit. So that one's just funny. So those are like the main places. You can also email me, Glenn at prodsense.net. And if you look me up on LinkedIn and, you know, I love connecting with people. So if, you know, reach out, tell me, heard me on the podcast and love to know what resonated with you. And, you know, if things didn't or look, I'm, I'm always learning. So let me know what I can do better. I'm always trying to do better. Yeah. You really are. You really are. And I, I love being connected to you. I'm glad you see me as someone to hit up once in a while and uh, being willing to come back on the show. I look forward to your podcast. Give the name of the podcast one more time. Yes. Until the ice cream truck. And you can just go to until the ice cream truck.com and you'll find it. It's on Apple podcasts. It's on Amazon and Spotify and all those. I, yeah. I, it, it's like you're, you've opened up a door along with other people who've been in corporate America and you're, and you're telling the stories and you're inviting people in in a way that's really educational. And it's important for people to know, especially young people trying to get into the field. So thank you. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for sharing space with me. The honors from me. Thank you for giving me the space. I really appreciate it, JD. And I, you know, and I, I, I mean, you first reached out to me in the first place. And I really appreciated that. And I had a great time on the last episode. And I, I think this one went in a different direction, but it was also great. I loved it. Um, hopefully I'll be on again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So great to see you, buddy. I'll see you later. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, JD. Okay. Bye-bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller. 